You're listening to a Centro Church podcast. Welcome, and uh, this is the first day, of course, of uh, of Advent, of the beginning of the Christmas season. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much, very, very much. Thank you. <laughs> And so what we want to do over the course of the next few weeks is we build up to the big day that's coming in uh, 23 or so days is look at Emmanuel, God with us, and different aspects of why he came. He, he looked at, at this world that was racked with fear and with doubt and with worry, and he, he, he came to bring peace. And uh, he came to bring a number of things, but this morning... That's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at the peace that came through the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ himself that came 2,000 years ago. We're going to take a reading this morning uh, from the Gospel of Luke, Dr. Luke, who recorded all these things that he saw as they took place. And this is probably, uh, as we commence our uh, Advent season, this is probably the most famous of all of the, uh, uh, the, the Bible verses, I guess, that get read this time of year. From Luke chapter 2 and verse 8, it says, As there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. The angel said to them, do not be afraid, for I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. The angel came and said, don't fear, because when you hear what I've got to say, this news will flood your heart with joy and wash away all the fear. Now, I don't know how many of you this week have been motivated by fear in any of the actions or any of the words that you've said, but fear is probably the prime, one of the prime motivators of human behavior. When the angel said, fear not, um, you go back into the original uh, language, there's two Greek words used there, megaphobic. And phobic, something we're all familiar with, somebody who is carrying a phobia, they are fearful of things. Mega, of course, is large. Mega phobic. Don't have large fears is what the angel is saying to these uh, shepherd boys who are out watching their sheep in the, uh, the solitude of the desert of the outskirts of, uh, of Judea. Now, where did fear start? Where did we start getting this whole idea of dread and of worry into our hearts? I don't know how many of you had that even today. Uh, maybe you've woken up this morning and you woke up this morning, there was a fear somewhere in your spirit, somewhere in your heart, somewhere in your mind, there was a concern or a worry. And uh, the admiration, the direction of these angels is that you don't have to have that because of some news that's coming your way. Uh, if you go back to the, um, to the Garden of Eden, where fear started, you know, we see God coming in the, uh, the cool of the afternoon into the Garden of Eden, and we see Adam and Eve, and what are they doing? They're hiding. Why? Because fear has entered their 
heart. What are they fearful of? Well, I want to suggest the things that they are fearful of, Adam and Eve, while they're hiding, if we can come back to the garden uh, image for a moment, what they're hiding from is the very thing that causes you and me to fear. Fear of rejection. How many of you here this morning have struggled to even, um, maybe even to come in this room because you didn't know if you're going to be accepted? Uh, maybe you've struggled to talk to somebody because you don't know whether or not you're, you're going to be embraced or accepted by them. And that, that nagging fear of rejection so often paralyzes a man or a woman from enjoying the company of others. That fear of rejection is powerful. Few things pierce the human heart like the fear of rejection. Fear of the future. Am I good enough? Will I make it? Will I still have my job tomorrow? Will... Uh, Will my loved ones be okay? What's going to happen next for me? You know, will I find somebody to get married to? Will we uh, be able to have children? You know, will I have enough resources for my retirement? Whatever stage of life you're at, there is often fear concerning your ability to shape up to the next stage. The press is, is great at filling you with fear. They always tell you that there's something bad about to happen. I've been hearing this, uh, um, you know, I, I guess I've been sort of cognitive of, of, of news and world events since the 70s. So I can go back to the 70s in my mind. We've been, uh, the, the basic message that's been coming through the press since the 70s is, look out, bad things are about to happen. <laughs> Times are tough, we've got to tighten our belt. I've been tightening my belt for 45 years. You know, there'd be nothing left if, if, if that, that was a, a, a true message. If you want the truth of the matter, I'll tell you the truth of the matter. The truth of the matter is, did you know that Australia in the last few months has just passed Switzerland? We are now per capita the wealthiest people on planet Earth. And yet, that's a fact, and yet I've been here in, you know, Banana Republic since I can remember. But it hasn't happened. But, but we don't have to fear. I guess come back to the, get away from current affairs, come back to the text here. Uh, you know, fear the future, fear what's about to happen. The angel says, fear not. We don't have to fear about whether we're accepted. We don't have to fear about what may happen to us. And probably the ultimate fear is the fear of death. Do you ever fear dying? Have you ever thought about it? I, I suppose we all have. Uh, I think there's a fundamental fear of death. A lot of people have a fear, not maybe so much of death, but the actual process of dying. You know, uh, how am I going to die? Is it going to be painful? Is it going to be sudden? What, uh, do I lose connection with my loved ones for the rest of eternity? What happens? I don't know exactly what happens to me when I die. And the fear of death, the fear of rejection, the, the fear of the future. Where, where does this fear come from? Well, if I can take you back to the garden and I can introduce you to the beginning of the fear, you'll understand what the angel is about to say to us brings a cessation to that and the emergence of something different okay so stay with me because where did fear start fear started by a lie that the serpent satan okay so satan was the serpent in the garden um the serpent told something to eve and then to adam that they embraced into their heart they nailed it down into the very inner recesses of who they were. And because of that, they've passed it on to their children, their children, to your parents, and then to you. And this fear has been evidence in the human race since the beginning. And it comes back to a lie that is about to be redeemed. 
the next verse is going to counteract the lie. I'll show you this in just a moment. But first, let me remind you of the lie if you've forgotten, or let me tell you if you've never heard it before. The serpent comes to Eve, and I, I somewhat paraphrase, but basically says this. You're not going to be happy in your life unless you are in total control. Don't let particularly God control you. <laughs> My goodness, look at some of the people around about you who've been controlled by God. Look at their lives. You're not going to be unhappy like them. The only way to be happy is for you to be the captain of your own soul, the master of your own fate. You rise up and take control of your own life. And she thought to herself, oh my goodness, that's true. If I don't take this, I won't have control. And she did something, folks, that she was not created to do. She did something over which she had the choice to do, but in choosing to do so, it was going to take her outside of the manner under which she was created. And fear entered the human race. And then when God appeared, that fear only grew. And I'll tell you why I reckon that's happening. I'm sure they were fearful like they'd never been fearful before. They started covering themselves because they were fearful. And then when God turned up, the fear grew, just like the shepherds. When the angel turned up, the fear grew. And why did it grow? Well, why did it grow, I should say? Uh, clearly, that's why the fear was there. But why did it intensify when God came near um, Adam and Eve in the garden, the angels here in, 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 in the, uh, the wilderness? I, I want to suggest to you this. The same reason that if you were to... Uh, steal a policeman's uniform and hat or something and pretend that you're a policeman uh, you'd probably be a little anxious you know particularly when you're writing tickets to people who you, uh, you know who you shouldn't be but you know you're pretending you're this great authority figure sort of in society and then all of a sudden you find yourself surrounded by other policemen how many know that your anxiety level has just gone up a few pegs right because you could be found out or let's just say you're at a party and you're pretending to be a doctor and you're meeting people telling, you know, I'm, yes, uh, John Hunt, MD, whatever. And, uh, and you're talking about the, all the operations you performed or something. And all of a sudden you find yourself speaking to a doctor. How many know that if you're a little on edge before, now that you're speaking to a doctor, all of a sudden your, your levels of anxiety have risen somewhat. Why do you think that is? Because God's beauty shows up our ugliness. His power shows up our impotence. His glory reveals our darkness. We're all of a sudden, we're now in the midst of, we think, oh, we're going to be found out. We are positioning ourselves as we're the ones in control, but we're not really. And when the one in control turns up, the fear escalates. You know, I had the choice and I chose to take this. And even whether you are define yourself as religious or maybe you might be here today and you're a guest someone's brought you and you wouldn't define yourself as religious you know it doesn't really matter even if you're religious you can say well I'm going to do the 10 commandments I'm going to read my bible I'm going to pray I'm going to obligate God you know God will have to do what I want and it's still an issue of of who's calling the shots and I can take religion into my life and use it as a leverage to still call the shots of course, if I'm not religious, then I do what I want, when I want, with whoever I want. But here's the answer to this fear. 
See, the, 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 the angel turns up and says, fear not, fear not, and then says this, listen, today, in the town of David, verse 11, a saviour has been born to you. Who he is, is so important. He is the Messiah, he is the Lord. Now, this word Lord, I want to just camp out on this for a moment, because it's a, it's a, a really important word. Um, if again, if you go back into the original language, the word Lord, that particular word used there is the same root word whereby the Romans got the word Caesar. Uh, if anybody here happens to be of German descent, where the Germans got the word Kaiser, same root word. The Hebrews had the word Yahweh and it basically meant the creator the Lord, the one in charge who creates. Now, I want you to know why this is absolutely so important. This is why you do not have to fear because the creator of heaven and earth is here. You don't have to fear the future because you are actually created to create the future. Did you know that? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. No other animal is held up to that standard because no other animal has the ability, no other creation has the ability to create. See, as you look at this world, what you see is the creation of man. Man's taken to creation and we have, in a sense, partnered with God and continued to create. God created us so that we might create. He breathed his breath into us. And so that what would happen, we would partner with him. He would be our senior partner in creating the world. And he says, you don't have to fear for the CEO of creation has come back to join with you to create your future. You don't have to fear your future. You can now create your future for the creator of heaven and earth is here. That's what he's saying. There's no wonder we don't have to fear. We don't have to fear what the world might do to us because we are a divine force of nature who, if you like, paints the blank canvas of tomorrow in the colors that God has ordained. Isn't that fantastic? Well, no wonder we don't have to fear. That's very good. Good preaching. Oh, thank you. Okay, great. Moving on. That's so excited. So moved by this, the other angels, they're listening to this angel speak. They go, we've got to join in. And so it says this. It says a bunch of them, a great company, it says, of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace. Now, got to watch this, all right? Because this is where your Christmas carols lead you astray, all right? So watch this next phrase. Because some of you have been led astray by the silly, you know, they're great songs, but you know what I'm saying. Listen, <laughs> did you read this? Did you read ahead of me while I was rabbiting on? <laughs> it said, uh, and on earth where peace to those of whom his favor rests. So you think, oh, isn't it peace to all men, you know? Joy to the world, peace to everybody. Oh, no, it's not, actually. It's not. No, it's peace to a select few. It's peace, according to Luke here, who's writing this, peace on those in whom his favor rests. Hmm, what does that mean? I want to suggest it means if you want peace, you've got to understand this message. 
you have to understand there's actually a war. You won't experience the peace if you don't know the war. If you don't understand that the war is over, you won't be able to move into the peace. And there is a war. Let me, let, let me advise you of this. There is a war that goes on. In fact, Paul defines it. He says this. He says that the mind governed by the flesh is hostile or at war with God, he said in Romans 8. And there is a war between my flesh, if you will, that part of me that's separate from God and God. I don't want him to have control. I want control. I, I, I don't want to do things. I want to do things. There is a war that's going on. Make no mistake about it. But there is peace here. The war is over. The war doesn't need to continue. And when that war is over, you know something? Let me just make a couple of quick points. Number one, you don't have to fear being uh, accepted by men because you're accepted by God. That sense of rejection is done away with because you were so accepted by God, it almost doesn't matter what people say about you, not even on social media. It doesn't matter because you have this sense of acceptance from God. You don't have to worry about the future because the God that created the universe is creating the future through you. You don't have to worry about, you have to worry about death because he defeated death. All the fear is gone when you recognize that the war is over. The war in my heart of enmity, the war of separation between me and God. And how does that war conclude? What brings the, 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 the end, the cessation to that war? I want to simply, simply suggest this. It is, it is continuing, or I should, I should say, um, it is the stopping the discontinuing of standing on my own dignity. I, I no longer make excuses and obfuscate. So, well, you know, it's his fault and I don't like them and I'm at war with them. You're not at war with your, your, your spouse. You're not at war uh, with your neighbor. You're not at war with your relative. You're not at war with your boss. You're at war with God. And, and the way to finish the war is simply to acknowledge it. Can you know something? Yeah. I've I got to stop making excuses. I've got to stop trying to blame everybody else. I just humbly thank God for his finished work on the cross. I just say, yep, that's right. I just need I need God's grace. That's all you've got to do. Just acknowledge the fact that you need God's grace and the war is over. What brings cessation to the war? The acknowledgement that I need the grace of God. And you know, that is such a, a life changing position because when you acknowledge that the pride is gone you can be at peace with others you can take the peace that God has given to you and you start to spread that peace out it is quite remarkable when you take that position of humility before God well is it any wonder in verse 16 it says that they hurried off I mean they were excited the war is over peace has come man can understand peace of heart peace of mind have peace in their heart Fear and worry no more. They've hurried off. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about the child. And I want to just stop here for a minute because this is very important. I don't want you to miss the ordinariness of this, right? I don't want you to miss the fact that the shepherds got an angel. Everybody else got a shepherd. <laughs> Did you see that? <laughs> The shepherds went off and told everybody else. Now, now, I put this into some kind of you know, cultural context for you. Shepherds 
not very good, right? <laughs> shepherds, not very important. Nobody paid money to speak to a shepherd, right? Shepherds were kind of like pretty low on the social scale. They were, you know, the smelly kind of dudes on the outside, outskirts of town that, you know, just sort of hung around sheep. They didn't need a lot of acumen to look after sheep. So, you know, you, you sort of, it, it, you're not kind of, people don't listen to you because you're a shepherd, right? That's kind of the culture. And yet the shepherds get an angel and everybody else gets a shepherd. <laughs> and here, this is really important. You know the truth of this? The truth of this is that it's so darn easy to dismiss. It's easy to dismiss this. Because how do we receive this? I mean, we've got these letters here that Luke and others wrote. And, and you know what I mean? Like, you know, John on the Isle of Patmos has a revelation of the resurrected Lord and falls as one dead. Paul on the road to Damascus hears the voice of God and falls to the ground. Those guys wrote a lot of what we call the New Testament. Moses, who wrote a lot of the Old Testament, right? He's up there on the mountain for 40 days being sustained by the presence of God. And what do we get? Well, what they wrote. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You can dismiss a letter. Very hard to dismiss a God that you're in the middle of his presence for 40 days on a mountaintop. Very hard to dismiss a, 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 a present, a figure in front of you. Not that hard to dismiss a letter, is it? But that's what we've got. We've got a letter. And the reason I say that to you is... You don't get peace if you don't get to whom his grace is, is upon, right? So there is, there is a sense in which we've got to embrace the grace. We've got to embrace the grace to receive the peace. But we don't get the angel. We don't get the, you know, the, the, the mountaintop. We don't get the kind of 40 days on Mount Sinai thing with the, with the finger in the stone type, you know, Ten Commandment thing. What do we get? We get a rusty old letter. <laughs> Where the letter's been passed down from generation to generation. That, let's be honest, sometimes you find boring and irrelevant. <laughs> sometimes you read it and you come here on Sunday and you listen to what we say and think, man, I didn't see that. How did he do that? What, what did that say? Isn't that right? Sometimes you think, you know, I could just about go, I don't really want to come be bother reading that today. It's easy to dismiss like the testimony of a shepherd. Yet it's the way in which God has orchestrated and predestined that we receive the word. Remember the parable of the sower that Jesus said, you know, some of the seed falls on the wayside and, some, you know, some falls and the birds and what different things happen. And, 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 you know, it's like that, isn't it? It's like this peace is upon those who embrace the grace but the grace is easy to dismiss. Some of you here this morning, to be really honest with you, some of you here this morning will receive something out of this message that will change your life. And some of you, oh yeah, you know, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Oh, that's the Christmas thing. He's gone with the Christmas theme. Fair call, it's December. You know what I mean? Some of you think like that. We kind of expected it was coming, you know. We wasn't sure he was going to start next week, but when we got here and saw the Christmas trees, we knew it was on. And... Uh, 
and, and, and some of you think like that. <laughs> and, and you kind of go, oh yeah, Christmas, we've heard it all before, right? What's you going to do? The wise men, the shepherds, you know, you've got to be one of the baby in a manger. I mean, he's got to be one of them, you know. And, you know, it's all good. We'll hear it again, you know. We like it. It's fine. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? It's kind of just over the head. And we can go through this Christmas season again and we can miss the message of peace because you've been around so long and you've heard it so many times. It's kind of like, oh, well, here comes that shepherd boy again. <laughs> Who really cares? But they carried the message. They had this incredible, valuable piece of information. They had the grace in their hand, the shepherd boys, right? This, these, these, if you will, social outcasts carried the grace that was going to transform the world. What have you taken it or what have you dismissed it? Have a look, see what Mary did. Mary's the archetype, right? Mary's the model. Look, 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 look what it says about Mary. We're going to take a lot out of this. Mary's, it says, but Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. That is a powerful, powerful little phrase. Mary just didn't go, well, I've already heard from, you know, the whole, I've already heard from, the, from Gabriel. Gabriel, I've heard from the archangel. <laughs> I don't want to hear from you shepherd boys. I go straight to the source, you know. Man, I can get on to whoever's podcast and I can listen to them. I don't listen to you, mate. You know what I mean? I, I, I've, I've got a far higher contacts than, than you shepherd boys. But I love this. I love this. This says to me something about the woman. This, tells to me, this says to me something about why I reckon she was chosen by God. Because Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart that word treasured brings with it an emotional sense of caring you know like when you treasure something i don't know maybe you, there's a family heirloom you might have your grandmother's wedding ring or something that's been passed down and it's incredibly valuable and meaningful to you and you treasure it you don't just leave it lying around it says not this not just that she treasures it because you can have things that you treasure that you seldom see um you might have a you know, particular uh, uh, plates and, and knives and forks that only come out when visitors come once a year or something. You, know, you might treasure them, but you don't use them often. You've locked them away. It says she did two things. She treasured them, so she held what the shepherd, she held what these lowly boys said in the highest value, but she just didn't do that. It says she did this, and this is the key to the whole message, I reckon that Luke's trying to communicate to us. It says that she pondered these things in her heart. And let me give you an image for this. It means if she was sitting around the fire, she blew on the embers. <laughs> it means that she went and she chopped some wood and she bought it to, to cause the flame to grow. She threw another, put another log on the fire. She kept the fuel to the fire and fanned its flames. That's what it means to ponder. 
It doesn't just mean that she was just thinking. It means that she was causing the thing to grow within her. And here, this is the prayer. This is the objective, you see, as we move towards Christmas. I want you to take these things, and I'm going to ask you to ponder them in your heart, to do what the archetype, to do what the example we have here from this incredible woman, Mary, who heard these incredible things. She held them valuably in her spirit. And I'm sure many people do that here this morning. Many people. People hold them valuably in their heart. That's not the question only. You might be here and you don't treasure them. You don't understand them. That, that, that's still okay. Maybe the you know, I guess you're here because you're interested to find out more, and that's a good thing. But this girl, she took it the next step and she pondered them. Now let me talk about this, because I reckon this is really challenging. Really challenging. How easy are you to be bored? How many know today that we're living in a society that is so hooked on entertainment, right? Because there's so much entertainment. I've got to be entertained. I'm bored with this different app. I'm bored with that. I'm going to go over here. I'm bored with this. I get on YouTube. Now halfway through, I'm going to see that. I'm going to see what's on the television. I'm bored with that channel. I'm going to change the channel. How easy are you bored because to ponder something in your heart takes a considerable amount of perseverance and intention i I tell you what i tell you what mary did let me put this to you in terms that i think you'll understand mary created her own content you know when you're pondering something because you create your own content that is not easy to do you know, sometimes it's, you can come to a, a thing like this and you can listen to a message like this and you go, oh, I didn't see that. That's interesting. Oh, great, great. And you can walk away and you can think about that and that's fine and you should do that. And, you know, uh, I, I know our, our small groups are kind of coming to a break now, but, but you know, I, I love it when people get together and, and, and maybe take a, a thought, that, that, that a direction that God's taking our church in of a Sunday like this and then break that down and create your own content within that, something that God has spoken to you because you've pondered it you've worked it over and over and over and God's given you a revelation that you can then pass on then you've got something then you've got something as opposed to you've taken the time to create your own content and content is not easy to create folks the tyranny of the blank page. <laughs> Sometimes you look at a blank page and think, I think I'd just rather go and dig a ditch. You know what I mean? At least you know what you're doing there. Trying to create sometimes, sometimes is quite intense. But that's what Mary was doing. Mary is creating her own content. And to do that, folks, uh, you know, to do that takes intentionality. It's, it, 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 you've got to push through to focus and be able to, uh, to, to determine the value of what you are doing. It's actually quite complicated, to be honest with you, to develop a whole series of thoughts in something like what we're doing now. You don't do that in five minutes. It doesn't happen in 10 minutes. You've got to apply yourself, apply yourself, apply yourself, apply yourself. Ponder these. That's what Mary was doing. Mary was creating her own content from the content that she'd received from the shepherds. And, and, and that's what transformed Mary's life. And that's what will transform your life. If you can take the time in your busy schedule 
where you aren't entertained by somebody else, you aren't informed by somebody else, but you take some of that information and then you start to ponder it, work it over and over and over until something becomes yours. That's how you embrace the grace. Right? Peace on earth to those whom the grace has come. The grace is there. The archetype for receiving it is Mary, who treasured its value, but just didn't hold it in esteem and put it on the, you know, the, the, the mantle there saying, we value the Bible here. You know? we, we, we value the word of God here. We don't ever open it up and read it, but we value it. She took it beyond that. She made it real in her own life. She pondered it. She worked it over and over and over until she had created her own content. Is it any wonder that she understood that the the reasons for fear have now gone? Because the creator has now come back into my life. And I'm not now at the mercy of just the odds of this world. I'm just not now at the mercy of fate because the creator of the universe has come and has dwelt within my life. And now I can create the future, right? Now tomorrow should be scared of me, not me scared of tomorrow (laughs) because I'm going to create tomorrow, right? I'm going to make tomorrow into something fine. I'm going to make tomorrow into something amazing, because I got the stuff, man. I got the DNA right here. I got the resources right here. What I got to do now is take it and start to ponder it, start to work it over, start to work it over until I see something and then I've got the blueprint of what's going to happen next. I don't have to fear. I don't have to worry. I can have peace in my heart. Some of you older ones here uh, this morning will remember this. Some of you younger ones, this might be completely and utterly fresh news. But in the 1960s, the Russians sent a cosmonaut, a cosmonaut into outer space. First guy outside Earth's atmosphere, and the Russians are crowing about it. Beat the Americans. It was a big deal. Apparently, back in the 60s, I have to say, I don't remember it. <laughs> I do remember walking on the moon. You can remember that one? I remember when the, 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 the US walked on the moon and let the Russians know all about that. But anyhow, so you've got this cosmonaut out in, in outer space. He comes back to Earth's atmosphere. And this is what they said. They said, there is no such thing as God. We know. We've been outside of Earth's atmosphere. We've checked and God ain't there. Good news for mankind. There's no such thing as God. Was the Russians' message when the cosmonaut came back from out of space. I don't know how many of you remember that, but that was the thing. And it motivated a hero of mine, a fellow by the name of C.S. Lewis, to write a book in response to this um, Russian boast, if you will, that we've checked and God ain't home. In fact, God ain't even there. And, uh, and Lewis, in his inimitable, profound fashion, said this. Oh boy, this guy must ponder and ponder and ponder. Because boy, could he create his own content. He said, God doesn't relate to man like a man on the second floor relates to a man on the first floor. 
The man on the first floor goes up and sees the man on the second floor and says, hello, and then comes back down. The man on the second floor goes down and, and they can relate to each other through that form. But that's not the way God relates to man. In other words, Russians, you're mistaken. Your, your view is wrong. And then he gave us this incredible insight. He said, the way that God relates to man is the way that Shakespeare would relate to, say, Hamlet or Macbeth. He said, Hamlet or Macbeth or a Shakespeare character in a theatre couldn't say to himself, I'm just going to go up to the rafters to see if uh, Shakespeare is there. And went up to the rafters and Shakespeare isn't there. And I, I, I can't find Shakespeare. Shakespeare doesn't exist. He said, no character of Shakespeare's could respond in that manner. He said, the only possible way for Macbeth to be introduced to Shakespeare or Hamlet to have a revelation of Shakespeare would be for Shakespeare to write himself into the play. If Shakespeare writes himself into the play, then the actors, he said, of course, Shakespeare is kind of there the whole time because this is a manifestation of who Shakespeare is. But you can't expect the players to be able to find Shakespeare because the players are the result of Shakespeare. He said, but if Shakespeare decides to write himself into the play, then you just might find that the players meet, understand, and come face to face with Shakespeare. And I guess in using C.S. Lewis, Lewis's little analogy there, that's exactly the Christmas story, isn't it? God wrote himself into the story of human drama. <laughs> the way in which we relate to God is not that somehow we find him in a box somewhere where he might be hiding, but that God brings himself into the fabric of our existence, and that's exactly what happened through the incarnation to thousand years ago God became flesh and dwelt amongst us he wrote himself into this fear played war ravaged world he comes into our world to bring his story he was kicked out of the inn so that we might be rejected he let go of his future in heaven so that we could have a future on earth and he laid down his life so that he could conquer death so that death would have no effect no rule or reign over our life and perhaps most remarkable of all he comes as a baby who's afraid of a baby now maybe if your grandfather you left home with a baby that might, that might scare you but you know what I mean <laughs> like nobody sees a baby and goes oh what what might that baby do to me? You see a woman pushing a baby along and you, you have no fear of that person. There's not an intimidatory figure. Because there's something about a baby, is there not, that casts out fear. If you see someone in the street, you don't recognize them, but if they've got a baby, oh, they must be okay. <laughs> there's something about the presence of a baby that takes away any sense of intimidation or aggravated assault or fear of what might happen to you. 
he comes as a baby. <laughs> Who's scared of a baby? And God walked into the garden and Adam and Eve hid because they feared God. So this time, God sneaks up as a baby. Because you put a baby on your knee. Gucci, Gucci, Gucci. <laughs> You, 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 you look at a baby and you, you tickle its cheeks and you try to get it to smile. But nobody, nobody steps back in fear at a baby. Because God comes as a baby. It's a remarkable thought. The creator of heaven and earth, the wisdom of the ages, comes as a baby. But in coming as a baby, it draws our response. We lean in and we can embrace him and all that he brings into our world. Thank you for listening to this podcast.